me. I'll hone in on a verse in a little minute. But we are continuing on in our series in, in, in teaching the dispensations, which I believe is very important for understanding and unlocking the entirety of Scripture. Um, I think it's an essential uh, tool. More than that, I think it's, a, it's an outcome of keeping a consistent hermeneutical method. What I mean by that, I mean by the way that you interpret Scripture, that you stay on course until the Bible tells you to do something else. So you stay literal unless it tells you to do something else. And you say, well, that may seem like common sense. But actually, you'd be surprised. I mean, even this week, I've been down teaching the New Tribes Mission and, and, and teaching the life of Christ, but teaching it from a dispensational point of view, right, that he came on to Israel and his own rejected him. And because of that rejection, God does something with the Gentiles. But it's not at the uh, discarding of Israel, but ultimately that one day when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that God will pick up again with Israel again. That's dispensational thinking. And when you take that, then you can start to apply it to some of the parables, Matthew 13 and others. And uh, some of the students had never, never heard this before. They'd never heard it before. And, and one of their, one of their um, points when I was teaching this stuff is, well, you're being too literal. You're being too literal. And because their interpretation is not a literal one. And I said, well, what, what, what does it say? Yeah, but, you know, that's, that's, that's you being literal. You know, why would we not unless God tells us otherwise? And that's the point. And if we're consistent, we can see that God has a plan for Israel. And, and they have been rejected, no doubt. They rejected their Messiah. And we're going to have a look a little bit at this. But he has a plan for them. And so, you know, we, we stay literal. And, and the dispensations are just a, a, a working out of that. That we see that, that the method of salvation never changes. So it was faith through grace. Or grace by faith. But when we look at how God works with his people, he does change. This is called progressive revelation. And, and we looked last time, didn't we, how God had honed from humanity. He'd moved down into a family, the age of promise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of that entailed. And, and we've seen that, we, again, we were looking at these characteristics. How do we find these dispensations, if you like? I keep telling you the primary characteristics is there's a different governing relationship there's a responsibility given to man and there's revelation not previously given this is why we call it progressive revelation so as we get further on in the age of man as God starts to move in from the the family as he's moving now into the age of the law we're going to see more from God and the law is given and that's revealing more really of God's holiness and how to worship him his way the secondly characteristics, which has been our focus, is test or responsibility, failure, judgment, and then we see the grace of God weaved in there all the time. You know, our God is a gracious God, and everything he does is, is, is not from a punitive thing in terms of how he works with us, but he wants us to be closer to him, to be drawn to him. And that's the grace of God. So, last time we, we looked and we honed in on this family, uh, we honed in on Abraham. We called that the age of promise or the dispensation of promise. And, you know, foundational to that is the Abrahamic covenant. But really the test, the responsibility was to dwell in the promised land, to get to Canaan and stay there. Abraham, who's the big figure in that dispensation, is failure. And Abraham's failure is just a foretelling of the greater national failure that will come. Because Abraham, he goes down, uh, chapter 
12 of Genesis. You know, he, he makes his journey through and he comes from Ur the Chaldees. He stops far too long in Haran, and, and we've looked at that before. He then moves around and he gets to the promised land. And, and, and then his faith is tested. It's tested. And there's famine. And the first thing that Abraham does is rather than stay there and trust in the provision of God, we looked at, talked about that this morning a little bit, didn't we? Like Hudson Taylor said, you know, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Never. And Abraham should have really stood his ground because God had told him to go there. It was a land that had been promised. But he didn't. He went and he went to Egypt. Why? Because there's famine and, and his mind's telling him, I need to go where the food is. But actually the food was where God had told him to be. That's where he would have been most protected. And he goes down to Egypt, a picture of the world. And, and you know, it, it, it's like one a fiasco after another a little bit before Abraham gets back on the path and gets to where he needs to be. But then you move on a little bit and you get to the nation and we left them last time. Where are they? They're in captivity in Egypt. All those things that were done all those years ago by Abraham come to fruition. They come to fruition. So now we're going to move on. We're going to move on. And this is what we call the, the, the age of law or the dispensation of the law. And this is a lengthy one. Uh, this dispensation is, 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 is a long one. And it gets its name, obviously, from the giving of the law. Because that's new from God. That's new from God. Now, the law, um, we have to get this concept. I think this, this goes a little bit misinterpreted. That for some reason, when we think about the law being given, we almost think that the law didn't exist before. Like, the law of God is a new thing. It was codified, it was written down, and it was given, and it was expanded upon. But the law of God was written in man's heart from his very creation. Remember we looked at this dispensational uh, change, how the guilt comes upon them. How do they know they're guilty? Because they know right and wrong. That was the whole thing with the tree. You know the knowledge of right and wrong. So it's, you know, people, <laughs> it's the law is a specific dispensation where God reveals more and codifies this and, and writes it down and really gives the nation their specifics and how they're to worship him and that's what you'll find when you get after the law you get into Leviticus it's how to approach a holy God because God's people have been called and delivered out of Egypt the world and they uh, had uh, no way of formally worshiping God and that's what they needed and that's what God gave them the Levitical system. So we're going to enter into the age of law, this new dispensation. No longer are the children of Israel slaves to the Egyptian. The Egyptians are a nation in their own right, and God has revealed these things to them, how they can worship him. Exactly 140 years after the day that Abraham left Haran, they now come out of the bondage of Egypt. Look at verse 40 of Exodus 12, where we were. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. God's timing is perfect, always. Exactly 430 years to the very day that Abraham left Haran, they come out. So we enter into this dispensation. We call it the age of law. And so the first thing in our characteristics is the test or the responsibility. 
Uh, Exodus 19. Now, we looked at this a little bit when we did Israel as the wife of Jehovah and the church as the bride of Christ. And we made the distinction there. And really, Exodus 19, it's, it's the giving of the Mosaic Covenant, the law, but it's a, it's a marriage ceremony between God, the Father Jehovah, and his uh, bride, if you like, in that sense, Israel. And it's a contract that they enter into. It's a covenant that they enter into, just like you do in marriage. Exodus 19 and verse number 3. Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall thou say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bare you in eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which they shall speak unto the children of Israel. So here God gives this to Moses. Moses then to go and give it to the people. And notice there's conditions. We see that in verse 5. If you will obey. If. Verse 8. Or verse 7, sorry. And Moses came, called for the elders of all the people, and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Don't you notice that? All the Lord has said and spoken, we will do. That's the entering into this covenant that we call the law where God says if you will I will and all the people representative of that nation say we will it's an agreement it's a covenant it's a marriage contract really that's why we looked at how Jeremiah and he talks about the people come to Jeremiah and they're afraid because they think God has divorced them and Jeremiah says no I haven't issued that bill of divorce yet but it is coming if they don't repent and return and they don't and they go into exile and God puts them away we looked at this at how that Israel was the recognized wife of Jehovah Exodus 19 becomes the rejected wife for her harlotry and her idolatry but one day she'll be the restored wife where this marriage ceremony takes place again between Israel and God and it's a beautiful time but here we have the law it's given uh, you know they, they, the covenant here they were responsible to the law uh, to keep the whole law 613 laws uh, that are that are given there we don't have all, all the details but you know the ten commandments are just the foundation for what comes after 613 different positive and, and negative laws now when Jesus came to the earth in his incarnation the system of Judaism Pharisaic Judaism had taken this and, and put wings and legs and arms on it and had grown. Even the Sabbath alone, which there's only one commandment about, even the Sabbath alone, by the time Jesus came and he walked the earth, had over 1,500 additional aspects put onto it. And of course, Jesus demolishes all this when he walks the earth and he and he deals, and we have the Sabbath controversies where he, he, you know, he challenges them. But initially, they're given the law, and um, we call this the Mosaic Covenant. In John chapter number 1, verse 17, we're reminded the law is given by Moses, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1, 17 says this, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
Amen and amen. So the Mosaic Covenant is the covenant under which the dispensation of the law was to operate. Remember, uh, dispensation, we get that from the Greek, uh, but it means economy, really. Economia. And, and it's really about God ruling the affairs of men and how men are responsible to operate. And now we have this revelation from God of, 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 a, of the codified aspect of the law. And, and now it's written down. It's not just a matter of mere conscience. It's written down and it's a prescribed system. And, and God gives the tabernacle, that place of witness and worship. He gives the, the sacrificial system, the feasts. You can read this all in Leviticus. It's a formalized way of worshiping God given to that nation under this administration or this dispensation that we call the law. Now, we live in the church age, which we're going to deal with next week. And this dispensation is not ours. And we're not under the law. Praise God. That doesn't mean that the law is defunct. There are moral aspects of the law that carry over. Of course there are. You know, we can't say, and this is one of the charges sometimes it's leveled at dispensationalists, is that, you know, we, 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 we do away with the law and therefore we're free to do what we want. And, and, and that's not it. We can't say that because God said in the Ten Commandments, I shall not kill, and we're not under that dispensation, that therefore we can, we can kill, and it's okay. That's nonsense. Because remember, the law of God existed ever before it was codified and given to Israel. It's written in the hearts of men to do uh, right instead of doing wrong. So we're not under the law, and we're thankful for that. And that helps us with some issues that do crop up regarding dress, regarding dietary things, regarding the day in which we worship. And people, when they pull us back to that, they're pulling us back to the law. But that's given to Israel. That's, that's who God's dealing with here as, as a nation. We're not part of that. So Israel, during this dispensation, they are under the rule of the law, and they are to act accordingly. All those things that are given biblically, to them, not the things that they added on, but the things that's given to them biblically and laid down for them, they're responsible to be accountable to that. That is their responsibility. They are an elect nation, a privileged nation. This is not God putting on them. This is God, Jehovah, the one true God, calling that nation onto himself. And God says, there's nothing special in you. You weren't biggest. It's just, I've chosen you, and I have chose to make you the ones that are going to be the light to the nations. You're to take my oracles, and you're to take the word of God, and you're to be the light of the nations. That was Israel's job. Absolute privilege. For God himself to do this and enter into this covenant, this marriage contract with his people, was an absolute privilege for them because they didn't deserve it. There was nothing in there. This was God. This was God. And, and they're given this covenant, and it is. It's, it's beautiful, but it's, we have to uh, put it in its right place, in its right slot. Otherwise we, get, otherwise, we get in all sorts of trouble in the church age. And we have to see it for what it is. It's for Israel, and it's given to them. And, and, and the Mosaic covenant is closely related to the land covenant, if you've ever looked at that. Some people call it the Palestinian covenant because it's to do with Palestine. But being, being a, a hard line, I love Israel, I call it the land covenant because I think that's a better, better term. But regardless, in the book of Deuteronomy, 
chapters 29 and 30, um, you see this covenant. And this, this covenant is of interest of our discussion tonight as we talk about the law. Because it, it really helps us see uh, the nation of Israel and their history and, and some of their promises. And, and the covenant of the law, the Mosaic covenant and the, and the land covenant are, are interlinked. One's conditional, the law, one's unconditional, but there's, there's a lot of similarities. Um, when you read through this in, in, in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, you'll see these things appear. You'll see that, that God says the nation will be plucked out of the land for its unfaithfulness. You'll see that there's a future repentance for Israel. You'll see their Messiah will return. Israel will be restored to the land. Israel will be converted as a nation. Israel's enemies will be judged. And then the nation will receive her full blessing. Let's read. Let's read from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and see what we can see these things for ourselves in this covenant that's given. Deuteronomy chapter number 30. Deuteronomy chapter number 30, verses 1 to 9. It shall come to pass, when all these things come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whether the Lord God hath driven thee. And shall return unto the Lord thy God, shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whether the Lord God hath scattered thee. So again, we can see this, that there are going to be scattered out of the land. They're going to be driven out of the land because of their disobedience. But God's going to bring them back. He's going to restore them. He's going to gather them from all nations. Uh, verse number four, if any of thee be driven out to the uttermost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecute thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I have commanded this day. And the Lord thy God will make thy plenteous in every work of thine hand, the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land for good. And the Lord again will rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. So here we see these aspects of, of, of what's going to happen to Israel, that God has given them these great promises. He's also given them these great prophetic warnings that they're going to be driven out of the land because of their disobedience. Now, God knew these things would happen. Did he cause them to do this? Well, in a certain aspect, he caused them to be driven out of the land for their disobedience. But on the other side, they were always responsible and accountable to God. We looked at that this morning, that theme of how do you weigh up God moving in history and time and in his purposes with the will of man. And, and, and it can boggle your mind. But absolutely, this is what I believe, absolutely, that there is no form of God's sovereignty that removes man's responsibility. I'll die on that hill. There's no form of God's sovereignty 
that removes man's responsibility. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, his purposes are advancing. But that never removes us from our responsibility to be accountable to God for what he has given us and to do what he has said for us to do. Israel was the masters and the architects of their own downfall. But God said, this is going to happen. You're going to be driven out. We see God brings the nations, but it's ultimately it's them. But, you know, we have these great uh, prophetic words in this uh, 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 land covenant that one day they will come back to the land. One day they will possess it. God will give them a new heart. That's the new covenant. And they'll turn and look upon him and worship him and be blessed. You know, Israel has some amazing promises given to them. The covenants are given to them. This is part of the privilege that came at the dispensation of the law, that came at the dispensation of the age of promise. Some of these covenants are conditional. The Mosaic one was conditional, if you will, I will. Some were unconditional. What we've just read, uh, the land covenant, that's unconditional. God's not saying, if you do This is what's happening. God's saying, this is what's going to happen. This is a covenant that I have given and swore by my name. That you'll be driven out because of your rebellion. But one day, I'll draw you back to myself. One day, I will gather you. One day, I will give you a new heart. There's no conditions on that. God's just setting that down authoritatively. I will not forget you. I will bring you back onto myself. You know, the Abrahamic covenant that was given to Abraham in the previous uh, dispensation that filters down to the sons of Jacob is, is amazing. It's a foundational covenant. And from that, we see other covenants spring. The land covenant is one. We have the Davidic covenant. And we have the new covenant. And they all come out of the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant. You have these three covenants. It's founded on the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant. Out of that, we have the land covenant. Out of that, we have the Davidic covenant. We call that the seed covenant. And out of that, we have the new covenant. We call that the blessing covenant. And all these covenants are unconditional. These four packed into the Abrahamic covenant are unconditional. That God is going to do what he says he's going to do, and he will do it. But the Mosaic Covenant, this marriage contract that Israel enters into, was conditional. Yes, God is going to restore them. Yes, God is going to uh, pick up with them and fulfill all that he said he would to Abraham. But the covenant of the law that Israel has entered into, willingly, willingly, God says, if you will, I will. The people said, we will. You can't get married and then say, well, you know, that was against, well, maybe it was against your will. I don't know. (laughs) Depends on your situation and who you're married to, I guess. But you enter into that willingly. So they enter into this covenant. Although they're going to be blessed by the unconditional covenants, they've entered into this one, this dispensation where the law is going to be the ruling thing for them. And they are simply to obey because that's part of entering in that covenant so the responsibility live according to the law and how it's been given to you 
which is designed to bring you closer to your God. How did they fare? They failed. <laughs> I feel like a broken record here, but that's what happened. There's a test, there's responsibility. Failure. Failure. I mean, you think about this. They failed to keep the law uh, in its entirety. Turn to Romans chapter number 10. As Paul makes this impassioned plea or, you know, really cry of his heart in Romans chapter number 10 about his people, about the nation of Israel. He says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. But being ignorant of God's righteousness and going to about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now Paul is talking... Uh, post-cross, there's an aspect of that. They haven't submitted themselves to the Messiah, but it just didn't start there. It started ever since God revealed himself to Israel in this way and gave them this special and unique privilege to be called the wife of Jehovah, to have this revelation of God that others hadn't had before, to have this way of worship, to keep them safe and in God's will and purposes and plans to be the light of the nations and Paul says that they were had zeal but it was with ignorance and they didn't submit themselves to the righteousness of God the right ways of God but instead pursued self-righteousness what is this this is Israel moving away from what God gave them and creating this system of religion that Jesus walked into in his, his first coming. They had grown arms and legs and become a system of self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is just a, a system of armor that you put around yourself to keep you away from the conviction that you're disobeying God. And, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had padded themselves with all this self-righteousness and Christ comes in and he speaks into the very heart and center of that and takes the truth of God and takes it more not about the letter but the spirit and really penetrates their hearts. And they don't like it because who wants to be convicted in their heart that they're not right before God? And how dare Christ do this? Because we're the Pharisees, we're the Sadducees, we're the protectors of the law, we're the righteous ones. Not you, Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth. Not educated in the synagogue. No formal training. Come from an illegitimate relationship. That's what they thought. Don't speak to us. Of course, Christ gives his sermon in the mind and he says, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. What does he mean by that? He means that the, the system that he came to had taken the written law and they had added the oral law. And they had, had just increased. And, and what you would find with the rabbis of the time, they would, they would teach stuff that, that wasn't written but was oral. And they would say, Rabbi such and such says, and Rabbi this says. And Christ never used rabbis. And that's why they was like, who is this guy? But they were built a system of self-righteousness. Christ says, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. You look at somebody who lost, you've committed adultery. Look at somebody with anger. You've killed. What was he doing? Demolishing the self-righteousness and getting to the heart because they built this system up. And that's what Israel did and they were good at doing it. They were good at doing it. Paul says, you know, they, they, they hadn't submitted to the righteousness of God. They hadn't seen their own helplessness. 
They had taken their, taken their position of privilege and they had created this system that God was so far outside of because he created these barriers of self-righteousness. But that's never what God had meant it to be when he gave it all those years ago. So, I mean, there's failure. They, felt, they failed to keep the law. They failed to obey the law. Uh, turn to 2 Kings, chapter number 17. And, and you know, this is, this, is, this is a damning indictment of these privileged people. Because they were privileged people. For God to reveal himself in such a way, to help them, you know, and that's what he was doing with the law, helping them to see their sin, helping them to see their helplessness, but also giving them a, a, a way to worship God in the right way. So they couldn't say, well, you know, we didn't know how to do things. Now the Gentiles could come along and say, well, you know, how do we worship this Jehovah? But Israel knew it all. Verse 7 of 2 Kings, chapter 17. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. Think about this from the marriage covenant, Mount Sinai. Yes, Lord, we will. We're committed to you and you alone. But they feared other gods, verse 8, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities. High places are, are places of pagan worship, of sacrifice, of all sorts of immorality, dedicated to the false gods. From the Tower of the Watchmen to the fence city. They set them up images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. This is absolute rank paganism. They are up to their neck in the pagan religions of the world. And there they burnt incense in all the high places and did as the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord God to anger. Now remember, God has revealed the way of worship to them. How to worship, the incense that's to be used, the way it's to be done, where it's to be done. God has given them all these things. They don't have an excuse. They can't say, well, the other nations are doing it, so we thought you may have liked it, Lord. No, there are privileged people with these specifics, this revelation that God has given to them that he hasn't given to others. Verse 12, for they served idols, and the Lord said unto them, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets, by all the seers, saying, Turn you from your evil ways, keep my commandments and my statutes according to the law which I commanded your fathers, Mount Sinai, that contract, that Mosaic law, in which I sent you by my servants, the prophets. So God's, you know, saying, Turn to me. He sends the prophets to bring the nation back, to steer them back to him, and they're still not doing it. Verse 14. Now was standing, they would not hear, but hardened their necks, like to the necks of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers, Mosaic covenant, 
and his testimonies which he testified against him and they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like him and they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images even two calves and made a grove and worshipped all the host of heaven serving Baal now remember as we get to this this is the privileged people of God that God has revealed to them the way to worship verse 17 and they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire this is sacrifice of their children, their sons, their daughters, into the fire as an offering to false gods. Used divination and chancements and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight, and there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. And also Judah kept not the commandments of God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made and the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight how did Israel do in relation to following the law that God gave them complete and total failure to the point that it's not just hidden secret sin but it's actively provoking their God. Failure to keep the law. More than that, as if it could get any worse, they failed to recognize their Messiah. When you look at the life of Christ, and, and we may do it actually maybe next year sometime, and take a chronological view and really piece together all that Christ was doing in that first year and a half of his ministry, just presenting himself as the Messiah time and time again, claiming equality with the Father, doing mighty miracles that only God could do. I mean, they, they, they had everything they needed to accept Christ as their Messiah, and they rejected him so much so that they commit the unpardonable sin, which thankfully we cannot commit today. It's a dispensational sin. That when Christ walked the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they attributed his works to Satan, Matthew chapter 12. And from that point, the Lord moves and starts to turn to the Gentiles because Israel is going to be rejected for a while. Matthew 23 and verse 37, and, and you can hear the hurt and the heartbreak in our Lord's voice when he says these words, Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Despite what we've read in that Old Testament portion in Kings of the complete and utter wickedness of those people, the Messiah still came on to the lost house of Israel. And he said, you wouldn't accept me. You wouldn't accept me. It failed. This dispensation of law, 
this dispensation where God is so uh, dealing with this nation and gives them tremendous privilege. They absolutely uh, disobey the law and take it to another level. And more than that, the one who came to fulfill the law, they rejected and said, you're of Satan. You're of Satan. Could there be a bigger blasphemy than to have the very Son of God walk among you and call him the devil? There's failure. My oh my, there's failure. What comes after failure? Judgment. 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 And there was judgment. And this is the judgment that it's foretold, you know, throughout the Old Testament. It's foretold in the land covenant. We did that when we looked through it. That they, if they obeyed, they would remain in the land. If they disobeyed, they'd be driven out of the land. And that's what happens. They're, they're scattered. The first time they're scattered is, you know, we get to really see them. The Syrians, I guess, a little bit with the northern kingdom. But in their totality, we're dealing with the Babylonian exile. And, you know, we're just looking at how they're coming back into the land in Ezra in the mornings. We're seeing how they're coming back from their exile. And that exile, it does drive idolatry out of the land, but there's still an issue with obedience and trust. We get to the point where the Messiah comes. He's rejected and he goes to the cross. He goes to Calvary. The church age uh, begins. What happens of Israel? What happens of that nation? They're dispersed. Eighty seventy, Titus rolls in. Temple's flattened. And they're pushed out amongst the, the land, dispersed across the nation. And have suffered ever since. That's the judgment. You know, the age of law begins with this marvelous event where God's people are delivered out of the world and set to go into the promises that God has given them. And it ends with them crucifying their Messiah and then being dispersed amongst the world by the Romans, the temple destroyed, not to come back again for thousands of years. But, despite the judgment, and it's deserved judgment, you know, we, we read that passage in Kings, and it's horrific, isn't it? Really. And you say they deserve that judgment, but we all deserve the judgment of God. But here's the thing, there's grace in every dispensation. There's grace. How do we see grace in the dispensation of the law? Well, the very fact that the law gave the sacrificial system. What was the sacrificial system about? It was about the covering of the sin of the nation, of the people. You know, the law came in and it revealed that they were in trouble before God. You know, the strength of sin is the law. And that's what it does. It reveals to us how in trouble with God we are, how holy is he is, and how that we can't even measure up to the littlest bit of that. And we're in trouble with God. Well, didn't God go on in Leviticus and say, well, this, you are in trouble with me, but here's a way to cover your sin until Messiah comes. So in that, in the tabernacle, in the sacrificial system, is God's grace. It's grace. That God would overlook sin, that this covering over system that ruled over and over. That's grace. Secondly, during this dispensation, we read it. We read it in the Old Testament. We read it in, in, in the New Testament. And when Jesus himself says, God sent unto his people prophets. That's grace. It's grace. 
God moving in the hearts of those men to go and take his message to the people. That was grace. To turn them back to him. God didn't have to do that. He'd already give them the way to him. They knew enough of God and how to be obedient and how to trust him. And they could have just been left to their own devices and God stood back and did nothing. And he would have been right if he wanted to do that, but he didn't. He sent the prophets time and time again. He gave them judges. He gave them good kings. He gave them prophets. But they would not hear. And they rejected. But God was always being gracious, even in that dispensation of law. So as we close, we think about this dispensation of law, given specifically to Israel, and how they feel. And because of that, God is now going to move on and we're going to move to the next age, which is the church age, which is the age we are in. And guess what? The pattern doesn't change. Responsibility. Unfortunately, failure. Judgment. But always God's grace. And we'll see that next week. Let's pray.